Hey, it's Leah. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to tell you about this other show called Stuff the British Stole. It's from CBC Podcast and Australia Radio National, and it's got all the story elements I love. It's got colonial theft. It's got museums denying that theft. It's got intrigue. It's got jokes by Australians. Join host Mark Fresnel as he picks one artifact and takes you on the wild, evocative, sometimes funny, and often tragic adventure of how it got to where it is today. Check it out on the same thing that you're listening to this on or on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, Leah. Hey, Phelan. So today I want to continue the journey that we started way back in our first season where we looked into the history of some Canadian snacks. Oh, I had no idea that was the journey we were on, but good to know. Is this an eating episode? Because I would have worn different pants, but I can get other pants. No, no, it's okay. Keep your pants on. Um, (laughs) There will be no eating in this episode. We got the emails um, Mm -hmm. about the last time that we ate in an episode. So we get it, Canada. You hate to hear people eating. You really do. You really do. Yeah. So in that episode, in our eating episode, we looked at the history of the butter tart, which originated in Ontario and Quebec and is now enjoyed across the country. Today, I want to talk about a dessert that seems to be only loved on one side of the country. And that dessert is the puffed wheat square. Oh. Uh-huh, I know, something <laughs> near and dear to your heart. Um, and I also thought that this would be a really interesting way to look into some weird history around cereal, because there is some serious weirdness there. Okay, well... Yes, I do love the puff wheat square because, you know, it's really just a combo of melted cocoa, sugar and butter, which I mean, that's a award winning combination mm-hmm. in any dessert. And then you just throw some puff wheat cereal, put it in a square pan, leave it in the fridge, take it out, cut it into squares. It's a delight. I find them that they're kind of like the the chocolatey version of Rice Krispie squares, but with puff wheat. And, you know, the only reason I can think why half the country isn't eating them is because puff wheat like plain puff wheat is disgusting it is actually not good i had a lot of puffed wheat as a kid so i wholly agree unsweetened puff wheat is not a tasty thing right but i think the popularity of this dessert can be attributed to where the recipe was created Uh, the recipe was invented by alan j russell a candy maker in red deer alberta He had moved from the Maritimes and opened a candy store in Red Deer in 1913. Uh, It was a popular store and was well known for the all-day sucker and coconut (laughs) brittle. So, you know. It it was of the time. Candy of the time. Candy of the time. Um, Things were going well, but then World War I broke out. Okay, and then things started getting tough. Yeah, especially in the farming world. Uh, A lot of farmers were leaving to go to the front and their climate also wasn't cooperating. Yeah, actually, I do know about this in the early 1900s. It just wasn't a great time for crops. Mm -hmm. And that might have something to do with the puff wheat origin, I'm assuming. But how would I know this, Phelan? Well, I found a book at a yard sale called A Wheatland Heritage, and it was written by Vernette Armstrong, an early settler who lived in Saskatchewan. And it's really all about the early 1900s, uh, the colonization of the West. That's what chapter two is called. And wheat, of course. 
I can't believe you bought that, but I can because it's you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a dollar, and one never knows when one will end up doing an episode about wheat. And here we are. Okay, the that point is of this, though, the point of this, though, is that the author describes farming the years right before the war as, as really bad. And then when the war broke out, they had a total crop failure in a lot of, you know, the West uh, in Canada. And then over in Europe, you know, they were also struggling with crop production during this time. So in terms of grains and wheat, things were really bad. Right. Europe could not feed their population and was heavily relying on imported food. So things were being sent overseas. Also, a lot of Canadian farmers were leaving to go to the front lines and fight. So things that had a long shelf life, they became really important. Things like crackers and cereals. There's a whole category of recipes that have been created out of having, you know, limited food supplies. There's this one recipe called mock apple pie. I don't know if you've heard about Mm -mm. it, but it's where the apple pie filling is actually made out of saltine crackers. And there are actually no apples in it. Oh, God. And it's good. What? It's Yeah, it's good because of the way that they, like, they do a whole thing with the spices and they add a bunch of things. It is thought to have been created by early settlers, and then it became popular during the Great Depression and the Second World War. Where did you eat this pie? I mean, it's a long story, but I had a lot of, like, old old ladies who were my babysitters that used to, like, babysit the the kids in my neighborhood. And I remember one of them made it and told us, like, this is this old wartime recipe. It, w- it did taste like a fruity pie. It didn't taste like apple pie, but I remember I was, I, I just remember it. So there were lots of recipes that were being created out of not having the right ingredients and, and, and needing something to be preserved, you know? I'm not really surprised that you have all this wheat and cereal knowledge, Leah, but it, it, it still impresses me. It's finally good for something. Yes. Okay, so all of this leads up to the creation of processed food, a quest to make food substitutes and items less perishable. The invention of cereal and their popularity had started happening in 1894. The creation of flaked cereal is credited to brothers Will and John Kellogg and Ella Kellogg, John's wife. Oh, so cornflakes go way back. Yeah, all the way back. John Kellogg ran a bunch of health spas for rich people. He advertised the spas with the idea that to be healthy, one must have a bland diet. Uh, One really weird aspect of the story of cereal is that John Kellogg believed that the blander the diet, the more inclined a person would be to abstain from sex and masturbation. Oh, well, this is taking an unexpected turn. Okay, well, I thought he was married. He was, but accounts say that they never slept together, which is fine. Yeah, whatever. Okay, Whatever. The problem was not that John Kellogg didn't want to have sex. The problem was that he made it seem like anyone who did was a bad person. He strongly believed that to successfully abstain from sex and avoid excitement, a person should never eat meat or spicy foods. Well, cereal fits the bill then, I guess. But also, you know, that belief towards not eating meat or spicy foods... That was popularized well before Kellogg would have taken it on. Maybe he was borrowing from certain Hindu or Chinese beliefs. There's a long history of that. Well, I I don't think so, because he was actually um, a huge racist. 
Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so he started an organization to prevent the races from mixing. Oh. He was also big into eugenics. And, you know, I encourage people to look up the very strange story of the Kellogg's. But I'm only telling you this to give you an idea of how the serial craze came to be. Seven years after, you know, I'll make you feel weird about having sex, Kellogg developed the <laughs> breakfast flake. Puffed wheat was invented by a botanist named Alexander P. Anderson in 1901. In an experiment, he filled a test tube with wheat flour and cornstarch and heated it in a 500 degree oven. I already know so many people have done this on YouTube. I can just feel it. I don't even have to look it up. I can feel that people have done that. Okay, I haven't gotten to the best part yet. Okay. He he took the test tube out of the Lord of the Rings style <laughs> oven and then hit it with a hammer. And, and when it exploded, he saw the corn, starch, and wheat had expanded in size and shape. And, you know, from the steam and the pressure, it had puffed up the starch. Okay, I got it. I got it. Why would anyone do that? But okay, yes, I see. Understood. Anderson introduced his puffed grain in 1904 at the World's Fair in St. Louis. To make a big splash, he shot the cereal out of eight bronze cannons. Oh, my God. Quaker cereal started selling it and advertising it as the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, the line, the cereal shot out of a gun, became a mainstay of puffed cereal marketing. Take a listen to this Quaker puffed wheat and puffed rice commercial from 1960, where an animated Quaker talks about the cereal. As you know, Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice are shot from guns. Uh, we'd like to show you this process. Now in a moment, we will... Just a temporary delay, folks. How you coming along down there? Remember, Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice are slightly flavored. Because they're the cereals shot from guns. The world of processed food is very bizarre. Yes, but but this worked for Quaker. You know, it's good marketing. You know, it's true. I mean, what kid wouldn't want to eat food shot out of a cannon? It works. Exactly. Legend says that to bolster sales, they also would put advertisements in newspapers across Canada and the U.S. for puffed wheat recipe challenges and contests. Contests like this were big in the early 1900s. So over in Red Deer, Alan J. Russell reads in the newspaper that Quaker Oats is looking for submissions for new candy bar recipes that have to include puffed wheat as an ingredient. So he decides to put something together. Okay, well, makes sense. But why are you saying it's a legend? Well, our historian Andrea, she searched every newspaper from Alberta in this time period <laughs> and couldn't find an ad for it. So, you know, it, it it doesn't mean it's not true, but, you know, she, she couldn't find one. Right, and this is, this is the lore. Okay, well, maybe he bought an American paper or something. Who knows? Mm. But either way, he decided to use puff wheat because he would have probably already been trying out different ingredients, either because of, you know, the, the limitations on food that we talked about or possibly just because it was like this new, fun, processed food. Exactly. So he took a recipe he had created for brittle candy, added some puffed wheat, and instead of sugar, used molasses. You know, and, and the original puffed wheat bar was born in 1914. 
Then it became known as puffed wheat cake. And now a lot of people call them puffed wheat squares. The original was harder, like a candy bar, but the modern version is a bit softer, like a Rice Krispie square. It took off and the recipe got passed around all over the West and eventually got printed in many recipe books. Yeah, this is the way Canadian recipes became canon. They would be passed around, and eventually someone would compile them into a cookbook and make sure they were preserved. Library and Archives Canada credits the first Canadian cookbook being one called La Cuisinaire Canadienne from 1840 in Montreal. There was another one from 1831 uh, from a guy in Kingston, Ontario, but it was discovered that he actually ripped off an exact copy of an American cookbook and just changed the cover, which is I'm going to say very on brand for Kingston. I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> oh, you shots get fired, Kingston. <laughs> well, there is no mistaking that puffed wheat squares are Canadian. The Western Development Museum in Saskatoon has copies of various old recipe books from all three provinces with puffed wheat bars in them. So why was it so popular in places like Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, and not anywhere else in the country. Well, simply put, if you grow wheat, you seem to enjoy it more than the rest of the country. Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba were the main grain provinces at the time, and they continue to be. So puffed wheat was also more available in these places than it was in other areas. I found a CBC article that said the puffed wheat cereal is primarily sold in these three provinces. Okay, so that makes sense then. If puff wheat wasn't sold in as many stores in the east part of the country, people just didn't have it lying around to make puff wheat squares. And then, you know, when later on when recipes were being shared, many Easterners didn't develop a taste for puff wheat because we know it's disgusting. It's not tasty without the chocolate. Growing up, we had it in the house, but I would say we primarily left it at the back of the cupboard until it was time to make puff wheat squares. It's clearly a treat that one side of the country does not want to give up. Um, if you were interested in checking out the recipe, the city of Red Deer has an entire page on its website dedicated to the square. Uh, we'll link to that in the description of this episode. I think we should issue a challenge to all of you living in the half of the country that doesn't eat them. Go try a puff wheat square. Make some puff wheat squares. Experience deliciousness. I think it can... It's going to bring our country together. Yeah, I hope so. Are we going to get sued by Big Puff Wheat? <laughs> Big Puffed Wheat is going to come after us. <laughs> For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.